We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we are streaming live this Thursday night on October 12, 2023. We got a lot to talk about as far as some uh, the first offseason rumors, which is not really new for one particular player, but for another player, it's kind of new as it follows up a conversation that we had uh, during our roundtable discussion with our friends Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. So that's going to be a big chunk of the conversation that we'll have. We'll also talk about as far as the MLB postseason, and that's where we'll keep an eye because as we are currently streaming, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves will get started in Game 4 the National League Championship Series. Boy, Jim, is there unnecessary drama about covering that series that has recently came to light today. And we've got an ALCS matchup down in the heart of Texas, a big one. The Texas Rangers, red hot. They have yet to lose a postseason game. We'll be going up against the Houston Astros, who are making their seventh consecutive trip to the American League Championship Series. But Jim, there is nothing bigger in the Chicago White Sox world, baby, than talking about Salvador Perez (laughs) as a rumor target this offseason. Man, We've been talking about this since the trade deadline and we poked fun at it and we've been making a joke like, ha ha, this is funny, probably isn't going to happen and then probably will happen. And now we got Bruce Levine at 670 The Score a day after we were there with Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes, again, joking about how the White Sox were going to be going after Salvador Perez, our friend James Fegan made the mention of Whit Merrifield, and then a day later, here we are, sources tell Bruce Levine, yeah, the White Sox are interested in going after Salvador Perez and Whit Merrifield. You wrote about this on SoxMachine.com in your morning column, Jim, but mm-hmm. just following up on that, like, how crazy is this idea? It depends on who you deem is crazy. It's perfectly sane and reasonable within the White Sox ecosystem and their preference for former Royals and the way they immediately rush to jump the market with unimpressive signings. Like we saw that with Adam Eaton, we saw Mike Clevenger, although Clevenger turned out okay performance wise, but they always rush to like cut a corner because they think like they're the ones who figured out the corner to cuts before everybody else. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but like making your uh, mind up or like stating your intentions or even like, you know, maybe not intentions necessarily, but stating your interest in somebody like Whit Merrifield, who really is like worth a one year contract or one year in a team option or something like that uh, based on the way he's trending is really like, you know, it's well within the White Sox, but it doesn't make any sense from like a 
a team that's in the White Sox position of needing to get an interesting roster as quickly as possible. Like Whit Merrifield is not all that interesting. He helps in some regards, hurts in other regards. And he seems like somebody who, if January rolls around and he's the best player available and you have a spot for him, sure, why not? But to try to carve out a spot for him in November is where, like, it does not make sense. Yeah, so, again, this rumor comes from our friends over at 670 to score from Bruce Levine. This was Assuming the- James Fegan is not Bruce Levine's source. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be kind of funny if he, if he was. But let, let's let's break this down and just like I want to start with Salvador Perez because there's the a line of lunacy here, like just I, I know we've been joking about it, Jim, but let's actually break this down. So in our roundtable discussion, I brought up these numbers. This is the Moneyball math again. The White Sox that they're trying to compete in 2024. You need to build a team that's projected to win 86 games. In order to do that, you need an offense projected to score 775 runs. You need a pitching staff and defense that will only allow 729 runs. So what you need this offseason from where you are in 2023, you need you need 134 more runs. And on the pitching defense side, you need to allow fewer than 112 runs. And if you want to be as good as you were in 2021, boy, you got a lot of work. You need 155 more runs on offense, and you need to allow 205 fewer runs. And the starting point for the White Sox, for those that are watching on YouTube, is just absolutely awful. And we talked about this in previous episodes. This is the worst offense since 1986. This is the first time that the White Sox have had a team on base percentage below 300 since they lowered the mound. Right, Jim? 1969 is when they lowered the mound. Yeah, and they had a 291 on base percentage, and they had a 6.3% walk rate, worst in Major League Baseball. The team approach is absolutely awful. So what I did, for those that are watching on YouTube and for those that are listening to the podcast version, I'll give you the play-by-play. I took Salvador Perez's numbers in 2023, and I added it to the free agent catching market which I think there are three interesting options, Jim, in the free agent catching market. Texas Rangers catcher Mitch Garver, uh, who's been mostly DH because Jonah Heim is a better defensive uh, defensive catcher than Garver. Gary Sanchez, who kind of had a resurgence with the San Diego Padres this year. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, Victor Caratini. I think those are the three best available free agent catchers. And for those that are watching on YouTube, you have to scroll to the bottom to see where Salvador Perez is. In 140 games last year, Perez was worth negative 0.3 war, so that's replacement level. Offensively, he was at 86 weighted runs created plus, so he's below league average at 14%. On base percentage, it was 292 with a 3.3% walk rate. So again, what I just mentioned, Jim... The White Sox had the worst walk rate in Major League Baseball in 2023. This is the worst on-base percentage as a team that they've had since they have lowered the mound to what the level it is now since 1969. And this is a serious rumor that's gone all the way back to the trade deadline when we've heard this murmur. Like, Salvador Perez does not help you in these big needs. And, oh, looking at his defense, it continues to decline. His fielding run value, according to StatCast, was negative eight runs below average. His framing runs above average is actually minus seven runs. He's one of the worst framing catchers in baseball, and it's been that way. And here's the crazy thing. He has an above-average pop time at 1.98 seconds, which is now an important metric with bigger bases, and we're seeing more stolen base attempts in Major League Baseball. But now there's a new stat called caught stealing above average on BaseballSavant.com that measures on just how more successful or how less successful catchers are throwing out base runners at second base at third base. And despite having above average pop time, Salvador Perez is minus two runs below and caught stealing above average. So I'm wondering that's a throwing accuracy issue. So we're talking about a 33 year old catcher, Jim, (laughs) who offensively may help you in the power department with home runs, but doesn't help you in on base percentage. 
and he is one of the worst defensive catchers in Major League Baseball, an area that you must approve upon because Carlos Perez and Corey Lee still struggle defensively for the White Sox. Like, I'm just, again, we've been joking about this, but now, seriously, having to break (laughs) this down, like, it just doesn't make sense at all. Like, are... Is he that good of a cop? I mean, I'm sorry. Is he that good of a clubhouse leader that he's suddenly going to make everyone better? And that's going to be the reason why the White Sox need to have Salvador Perez. Well, I don't know if I've been joking about it. I think I've been, there's a little bit of gallows humor to it. It's like stealing ourselves for it, but. (laughs) Preparing for the worst. Yes, I think we've all been bracing for it and and coping already, like pre-coping with the eventuality that Salvador Perez will be on the white side. No, like it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of coasting by on reputation, which is a point that, uh, P Knowles, Patrick Nolan will make over and over again. Really. I should have like opted out of this segment and, and wheeled him in here to just say, uh, <laughs> yeah, to sound off. And basically you could have just said, so Sal Perez, pull the string on P Knowles and go like, and, <laughs> You know, t- check, you know, walk away, come back 20 minutes later and, and he's still going at it. it it's, you know, the, the, there are two problems. One is that like you have the whole numbers thing, as you mentioned, the defense, as you mentioned, the offense and like the White Sox always have these low walk guys and they always justify why they need this low walk guy like Luis Robert. He doesn't draw a lot of walks, but they love his defense in center field. Sure. You know, he does that. You know, walking is the only thing really he doesn't do. Tim Anderson, low walk guy, but you know, he hits for average. He plays shortstop. Now those things are falling away. And I have a guy who doesn't draw walks like whoever they've run out of second base, low walk guy, but we're just trying to get by. We might have some ways to do it. Oscar Colas in right field, again, cutting a corner, probably not going to draw a lot of walks, but you know, he provides the most upside. So we'll go with him. So like all of a sudden half the diamond is low walk guys. And then, you know, you have like a case of Yohan Moncada getting hurt, Jake Berger stepping up another low walk guy and all of a sudden you know you're looking at five six of your nine spots being guys who can't draw walks and so to go from then Yasmani Grandal one of the few guys with strike zone judgment to Salvador Perez who has none is just all of a sudden you know hitting the reset button on your progress towards building a lineup that can help work pitchers over defensively as you mentioned the numbers are pretty bad as you would expect for a catcher with that much mileage and i'm i was kind of distracted by martin maldonado because he's been a flashpoint <laughs> in the dusty baker versus jim crane versus you know um is it dana brown who's in charge jeff yes. bagwell whoever whoever's in charge of the front office actually uh because of how dusty baker's preferred to divvy up the catching time because maldonado just you know He's another guy, probably more reputation and comfort for pitchers and actually doing things uh, when they have a really good catcher, you know, a young catcher who's really earned the playing time. So there's all that. And then there's the fact that he's making more than Yasmani Grandal. Like they just got out from under a <laughs> mid 30s inefficient catcher contract. And, you know, of course, in the fourth year of a catcher who's turning 34, 35, like, that year is probably going to be ugly. You hope that he makes up for it in the front end and you just deal with it on in, in the final year of a deal. So you endure that. You get Grandal being replacement level and paying uh, too much for that privilege. Sure. Okay. That's the price you pay when you can't develop your own players. But then to like get out from under him and then willingly throw yourself into somebody who's more expensive, even if they throw in some money for him, like it's still like way too much. And for what? Uh, the idea of leadership, but then you run into the thing that Pedro Grifol ran into, which is like, yeah, it's really easy to say you're going to be a leader and you're going to p- clean up a, a, a dugout that you haven't seen or clean up an effort level from that you witnessed from across the field. But then like he actually got control of the team and he couldn't do it. Like Salvador Perez comes over and he might be a leader, but also like he's been the leader of a team worse than the White Sox, consistently worse than the White Sox. And, you know, Ozzie Guillen made the point of just, you know, how can Griffol come in saying like he knows better when, you know, his 
yeah, it's like you know he, uh, he made the analogy of like criticizing the way somebody's raising their kids, and then your own kids are monsters. And it's kind of the same thing with Salvador Perez. Like maybe they're very well behaved kids, but they're also like not achieving anything. <laughs> they're very, uh, they're they're just not uh, they're not contributing much to the greater baseball world. So it's like he comes over and he tried to import leadership the way that they tried to import leadership in 2015 and 2016 with. Adam LaRoche, and then he gave way to Jimmy Rollins and Alex Avila and Todd Frazier and whatnot. And just Mm -hmm. we've seen them reach, we've seen the White Sox body reject so many leadership transplants over the years. And Perez seems like the worst possible one because, like, he's, you know, his game seems like he's falling apart. He's coming from a worse team, uh, a team that some, you know, like the White Sox have seen plenty of the Royals. They might not like him. They might not say, like, I don't care for that guy. And also, like even though they continue to lose uh season series against the Royals, it's like they have no reason to think that the Royals are doing anything better than the White Sox are. So why would they care to listen to him, especially if they don't really necessarily trust Pedro Griffo all that much? So it's a recipe for disaster, I think. And you know, of all the uh of all the ex-Royals they've brought in, whether it's Griffo, whether it's Andrew Benintendi, whether it's Gene Watson, Chris Getz, et cetera. Like this one seems like the most dangerous just because like it does have those 2015, 2016 vibes just like blowing up spectacularly because a guy shows up to be in the new sheriff in town when he just, he might be running out of game. You mentioned the contract and thanks to spot track for this information, Going into next season for Salvador Perez, it's a $20 million contract in 2025. It increases to $22 million. And in 2026, there's a $13 million club option or a $2 million buyout. So over the next three years, there is $44 million at least guaranteed to Salvador Perez taking care of his age 34, 35, and possibly age 36 seasons. And then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. And, yeah, it's just not a good idea. (laughs) I just, I, I think we all know it's not a good idea. But for a new front office who's hired Josh Barfield, and we'll talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks and how... They have pivoted to get younger, get more athletic, and you brought in Brian Bannister. So we're trying to incorporate new ideas, and maybe that's a new approach going into the offseason. And the first rumor that we have is one that's been around since the trade deadline, that, boy, the White Sox would love to get Salvador Perez, who has two years left and $42 million and probably another $2 million because you're going to buy out a contract of a 37-year-old catcher. And it's a lot of money for a guy who may hit 20 homers for you, probably will have to DH or play first base more than he catches because of his old age if you want him in the lineup every day which adds him into the pile that you already have with Andrew Vaughn and Eloy Jimenez and Gavin sheets, because he'll be around for some reason. Yeah. Gavin. Well, Gavin sheets might be the starting right fielder, Jim, uh, (laughs) with the way things are going. It's just, this is like same old white socks, like new guys. We're going to have new ideas. We're going to fix this. And this is like the first rumor. If I was Chris Getz, and this was not true at all. Like we have no interest in pursuing Salvador Perez. Mm-hmm. I would try to nip this in the butt right now, but this may go back to something that you have said over the years, Jim, especially this past year, Jerry Reinsdorf knows who Salvador Perez is. So what if this is something like Jerry Reinsdorf's like, Hey, we need a catcher. I like Salvador Perez's game and he works really well with Pedro Gafal. So Chris, how about you You make that work? You you got in Gene Watson. Gene knows the, the Royal system and knows the front office thinking, working for them the past year. Well, I don't mind paying that type of money because I know Salvador Perez and he'll, <laughs> he'll bring in fans of the stadium. No, he won't, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can see Jerry Reinsdorf being like, I know this guy. He's played well against us. Let's go after him, Chris Getz. Like, this could be a Jerry Reinsdorf idea. It could be, especially since, like, at the trade deadline, Chris Getz was not in charge, and those rumors were there. 
And if uh, Pedro Griffol has a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf, which it seems like he does because Reinsdorf loves to feel important and Griffol is very good at flattering people who are above him, uh, you know, because they're about the only people he's good at relating to or that he cares to relate to. He's terrible at relating laterally or downwards or outwards that uh, perhaps like, you know, when he was serving that suspension and he got in uh, Reinsdorf's ear sitting in the owner's suite for a day saying like, you know, what would turn this team around, you know, what get the shape these team up is getting a guy like Sal Perez here. And, you know, I told Rick then Kenny that we needed to get him and, uh, you know, maybe uh, somebody else can get that job done. Somebody else has uh, been in the Royals front office and somebody else who might know other people in the Royals front office who might help get this thing done. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's a scary thought, but because you cannot, uh, put it past the white Sox, it's a, it's a valid thought. How valid? I don't know, but there is at least <laughs> some degree of validity to it. As in wreck in the YouTube comment section, uh, put this comment in the white Sox haven't had a player manager since Don Kessinger, but maybe Salvador Perez takes over for Pedro Gafal by Memorial Day. I mean, there was that whole idea that maybe Paul Canerco could take over as White Sox manager yeah. back well, in the it, day. Well, I mean, like there was that uh, TikTok uh, you know, viral thread about like, when's the last, you know, how often do you think of the Roman Empire, guys? And like the White Sox make me think about it a lot. Like I would say at least every other day because like, there you go. Like, you know, bringing Sal Perez to overthrow uh, to stab Griffo in the back, like, you know, get in because you're in good manager and then like stab him in the back and, you know, take over the way that gets, uh, you know, might've done that to Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. Like, so yeah, the White Sox do have me thinking about the Roman empire pretty often. E2 Salvi. Yep. <laughs> Oh, this franchise, you know, we're, we're obviously entering the end of an era, uh, with, with the White Sox franchise, but it's going to be a hilarious one, uh, especially if they do this. So again, Salvador Perez is still on the Kansas city Royals. We have to wait until after the postseason before we start seeing these trades, but I don't know, guys, I, I don't think this one's going to go away. So until... It's opening day and Salvador Perez is in the Royals lineup. We just will have to be prepared that the White Sox will will or have thoughts about acquiring Salvador Perez. When I saw the Milwaukee Bucks make that big trade with Portland for Damian Lillard, I immediately went on game time to see when they were playing the Chicago Bulls. Saw it was on November 30th and game time had great seats in the 300 level right at center court in the United Center. Great tickets at a great price. I couldn't pass up the opportunity. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section and even row for less money, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why GameTime is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the GameTime app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. GameTime. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Now, Whit Merrifield, I will say not the worst idea. For those that had listened to the roundtable discussion that we had with Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score, we brought this point up that, boy, this is the worst middle infield free agency class maybe in the history of free agency within Major League Baseball. The best available free agent shortstop, I kid you not, guys, is Elvis Andrews. The best available second baseman right now is also Elvis Andrews, unless the Toronto Blue Jays do not pick up the mutual option with Whit Merrifield. So Merrifield's contract situation with the Blue Jays that they acquired from the Kansas City Royals in that trade, it's an $18 million mutual option, or if the Blue Jays opt out of the mutual option, they pay Whit Merrifield $500,000. I give it a 99.99999% chance that the Blue Jays are buying out Whit Merrifield, Jim. Uh, So Mm -hmm. Whit Merrifield will become a free agent. And based on his numbers last year, he played 145 games. He'll be entering his age 35 season. He was worth one and a half war. His weighted runs created plus was 93 as he had a 318 on base percentage. His slugging has dipped. It dipped below 400. It was at 382. His walk rate was at 6.1%. So again, he's not going to help you with the walk rate. He'll help with the strikeout rate. Merrifield only struck out 17% of the time. So he does put the ball in play very similar to Elvis Andrews. But as far as his fielding run value at second base, he took a step back when he got that playing time for the Blue Jays as he spent most of the time in the outfield last year as he was minus three runs below league average at second base. So if you're looking for like a better defensive second base baseman, uh, you're probably looking at Elvis Andrews or some other idea, uh, maybe via trade because the second baseman class is just really bad. But offensively, this is where it's not a terrible idea because we talked about it with our infield review in our, just in our last podcast episode, second base is a mess for the white Sox. I, I have serious questions and doubts that Lenin Sosa, Romy Gonzalez, and Zach Remillard are even major leaguers. So if you're looking to bring somebody from the outside in, uh, someone that may have that, that has postseason experience and maybe could give you a short-term burst or boost, I should say, and a middle infield spot, it's not the worst idea in the world if you want to sign Whit Merrifield to a one-year contract. It's just... You have to be careful here that it's not tampering because he's still part of the Toronto Blue Jays, Jim. Uh, Mm -hmm. The mutual option hasn't been bought out. But this angle makes more sense to me to go after someone like Whit Merrifield and Salvador Perez. It would be very much like the White Sox to tamper with somebody like Whit Merrifield versus like Shohei Otani <laughs> or right, out of all the players. Yeah. <laughs> That'll, we're going to lose a second yeah. round draft pick because we tamper with Whit Merrifield. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that would be the most. That would be like the the best way for Chris Getz to start his first off season would be to tamper for Whit Merrifield. Um, yeah, it's. Like, this is where I, you know, writing about it, I talk about like they're, this is going to break people in two camps of White Sox fans. Either one, like, yeah, you know, Whit Merrifield can make some sense. He does some things well, some things don't. You have to worry about whether he's losing too much of his impact contact or where the walk rate will collapse and everything. Uh, but, you know, it might work out, especially if you can keep it to one year. And then you have people who are like, no Royals, like, no more Royals. And I'm more in the latter camp just because I do treat them like an invasive species that it's just they, they just keep spreading and they keep thinking like they keep uh, enabling each other. And so that, that's what makes me worry about it. But I get the appeal. Just the problem when it comes to jumping the market is like there isn't, you know, one thing that scares me about Merrifield, if I shouldn't say scares me, it's overstating it because like I don't think the White Sox have enough stakes to play for to be legitimately scared by any one year contract. I think it'd just be kind of more annoying or like bottom could fall out is like he was 26 for 36 stealing bases, like caught 10 times with the new base rules and the new uh, pace of play pickoff rules. And like his efficiency was actually pretty low. So is he losing a step on the base paths? Is that part of his game going to fade on him a little bit? And then like, you know, his 
uh, exit velocity, like his the impact of his contact has really taken a, a nosedive the past couple of years. So like, is he going to get on base enough to make use of those wheels? Like it's the whole idea of Pedro Grifol saying like, I want to play a more aggressive game, a more speed-based game. But then like, you actually have to get on base to do that. And you have to like, put the ball in the gap to really get your guys running and make outfielders turn around. And like, so it's to me, that's what, you know, beyond just the, the Royals tie, the idea that like, he's fast, he can run the bases. Well, can he get on base? Maybe like average, (laughs) but it's trending downward. Like it feels like the white Sox are going to get at him just in time for him to like post a three Oh two on base percentage. And then he runs in the same problem as everybody else to where like his speed is mostly good for trotting back to the dugout really quickly. Uh, The other thing that kind of concerns me is like, unlike Perez, like uh, Merrifield was not on a winning Royals team. Like they were 81 and 81 in his first year. And then it was all losing teams. In fact, like the most, probably the most prominent dugout moment he was involved in when he was one of the unvaccinated players, one of like 12 or 13, I think, who did not get the vaccine partially, you know, beliefs but also partially because it's like it was a series before the all-star break and they're going to toronto and yeah i imagine a lot of players are saying well if i don't get the vaccine then i can get that series off and get an even longer all-star break and so like oh yeah yeah so you had like players who weren't vaccinated and players who just might not have like cared enough about playing for the royals and going to canada to be like yeah i'll take a hit just to get a longer vacation during the season and like he had players sniping at him, like Nicky Lopez was calling. It seemed like he singled out Merrifield, calling him selfish, and like he was like at the center of that mess because like he was like unapologetic about it and just you know didn't get why it's such a big deal. And like that was like that was his moment of leadership or lack thereof. And so like yeah, just there really isn't going to be anything there in terms of pole or you know he doesn't have like Perez's reputation as far as being a galvanizing force in fact like he's the one time we know that he's uh, made a difference has been for the opposite reason so there's that as well so that's what makes me uh apprehensive about it and like if January rolled around they didn't have a good idea for second base and Merrifield still out there sure like I don't see any downside in that but like making him or leaking that he's a possible priority in October when his numbers could very much be like he's ordinary at best right now and might be like below average at best in a year or two. That's, I think, what makes me nervous. And then you throw in the whole Royals, uh, you know, stink on them on top of that. And, uh, yeah, I just I don't like the fit right now. We got a super chat for those that are streaming on YouTube from our friend Aloha. Mr. Hand, have a drink to celebrate Salvi Day. Not yet. It's not Selby Day yet until the White Sox actually acquire Salvador Perez. But thank you for the super chat. Aloha, Mr. Hand. We also got this comment from Tim. You you mentioned jumping the market, and Tim wrote to us, when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were free agents, the White Sox couldn't be bothered. But with the worst middle infield in free agency history trademarked, the White Sox are going to jump this market. And probably... Probably again, for those that are watching on the YouTube stream, for those listening to the podcast feed your, your best free agent options at second base with Merrifield. If that mutual option gets bought out Jorge Polanco, we'll see what the Mets want to do. It's just a million dollar buyout. I would like Jorge Polanco more than Whit Merrifield as an option because I think offensively Polanco has the best potential to provide instant impact for the White Sox. Uh, and then Elvis Andrews, there you go. I mean, you got Rogan Odor, who was worth half a win in 59 games last year. 86 weighted runs created plus, but his on-base percentage was below 300 uh, despite having a 10.8% walk rate. I mean, that's kind of impressive. And uh, Adam Frazier, who might be one of the worst defensive second basemen in Major League Baseball. So, again, those are the options for those that are getting prepared for your Sox Machine offseason plan projects. And, uh, again, this is the the first rumor that we've got so far. So, according to Bruce Levine, a 670 score, even though we keep joking about this, the White Sox are looking to pursue Salvador Perez via trade and waiting to see what the Toronto Blue Jays do with Whit Merrifield, and I hope we get better rumors, Jim, <laughs> as the offseason continues <laughs> to move forward. So much to look forward to as soon as the, the World Series is over. Got the Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks 
option decisions and then uh let's see if they can uh, make magic happen during the gm meetings in mid-november for salvador perez Woo, tamper <laughs> yes gotta love tampering all right so that's the latest news as far as the chicago white Sox. uh let's pivot over to the mlb postseason which has been terrific and moving over to the american league and we've got ourselves an alcs matchup now and it's all about the state of texas the texas rangers swept the baltimore orioles a bit of a surprise and the houston astros took care of the minnesota twins in four games winning both games in minneapolis uh with the twins winning game two thanks to pablo lopez and carlos correa having very good games uh, but the Houston Astros, in large part, Jose Abreu, Jim. Jose Abreu had two big home runs, one in game three uh, that was a huge shot in the first inning, a three-run shot, and then he had a two-run shot to put the Astros up 3-1, to one, and they eventually win that game 3-2. to two. So Jose Abreu playing Good a significant him. factor. Good for him. He he needed moments like this, and you could see that he was really irritated the White Sox weren't allowing to have him. And so, yeah, I'm glad he's making the most of it, even if his regular season was a disappointment. Like, this is why you try to sign with a team like the Astros, because even if you have a disappointing season, like the if you make up for the postseason, nobody cares, at least until the calendar flips over next year. Like, if he uh, plays a significant role in, like, you know, even if they, you know, fair poorly in the ALCS and they lose against the Rangers. Like if he has a good series, people will be like, Oh, he helped us beat the twins and a lot will be forgiven. And then you'll go next year. Maybe things will be a little bit better or maybe he'll just get a little bit older and just be as rickety playing wise. But yeah, nice to see him uh, redeem himself a little bit because uh, he definitely deserved better than what he'd shown the Astros the first year and definitely deserved a longer leash based on what, how much he gave the white Sox, which uh, is not appreciated when you go to new market. So the ALCS is going to start on Sunday, October 15th at night. And the NLCS, the Arizona Diamondbacks are there. We'll talk about the NLCS here in a moment. Uh, Game one will start on Monday, October 16th, but you will have game two of the ALCS on Monday, October 16th. So that's when the Rangers and the Astros will play against each other starting on Sunday. And with this matchup between Texas and Houston, I think what's most impressive is that this is seven straight years now for the Houston Astros in the American League Championship Series, Jim. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep bringing this up. I know the White Sox, especially Chris Getz, mentioned that thankfully they're in the American League Central. So when they say we're going to build a team to compete, their goal is to win the division and just make the postseason. But there's one part of making the postseason in the American League, and the other part is trying to win the American League pennant. And it is very obvious in the American League, all roads go through Houston. Mm-hmm. You are trying to build a team that could defeat the Houston Astros in a five or seven game series. If you realistically, as an American League team, want to win a World Series, Texas has this task this year, but in future years, Baltimore, Tampa, pretty much every team in the American League East, uh, Seattle, if they want to bounce back, the Angels, if they ever want to get serious, and whoever wins the American League Central, like, again, it's one thing to make the postseason, win your division, and show up, fantastic. But if you want to make it the World Series in the American League, you got to build a team to beat the Houston Astros. And yeah, the whole cheating scandal makes them really easy to root against. But I find myself respecting the hell out of the Houston Astros, Jim, because even with like a whole new front office and new managers and yeah, some you have some of the guys that stayed in like Bregman and Altuve, but they've entered new faces into the lineup and into the pitching rotation. They keep doing this. They keep showing up, and here they are, just four more wins away from winning another American League pennant and going to the World Series. Watching them early in the year when Bregman was really struggling and Altuve was in and out, uh, you know, there was a whole idea of, you know, is this the year the Astros don't get it done? And yeah, I was skeptical of them too, just because of the weird power play that was going on with uh, Jim Crane seemingly wanting more of the credit and Jeff Bagwell coming in and 
seemingly having his thumb on the scale in terms of like who stays, who goes, uh, who comes in. Uh, it made me a little bit skeptical that they had the same mix of um, short-term and long-term problem solving that allowed them to be so good. But I think this is where, you know, Rick Hahn, you know, when the White Sox were trying to get it going and, you know, didn't love to talk about the back of the baseball card and saying like, well, we still believe in that. And like, this is what I think it looks like when you have the back of the baseball card, like Alex Bregman looking terrible, looking lost for like first uh, month, at least maybe going in the second month. And then, you know, he, ends up with a 122 OPS plus more walks than strikeouts, just every bit the top four hitter in the lineup that you want to see that gets on base, that drives other people in and he gets there like, you know, and then they have other guys as well. Like Jose Altuve gets banged up, but when he's in the lineup, like he's just as good as he's always been. Like he gravitates towards the back of his baseball card. And then you have like, you know, Kyle Tucker putting it all together. Jordan Alvarez being basically unstoppable when he's healthy and like they don't get derailed by injuries the way the white Sox do like they they might miss some time they might miss a month but when they come back they're good again and they look like they're no worse for the wear then you have like some uncertainty at the catcher position and then yiner diaz comes in and you know just looks like he's been there the whole time at least offensively and we just talked about maldonado defensively and some skepticism there but like he fits in he contributes like they get Chaz mccormick getting better and better you know year after year and giving him more responsibility so that's what the idea is is that you pay your stars to be stars and then you just keep filling cracks like jeremy pena not as good as carlos correa but certainly good enough to fill that position for the league minimum uh while correa gets paid the most and then they'll reinvest the money they're going to give correa to other positions pitching is maybe like the one area where it did kind of come apart and they did have to basically pay for Justin Verlander. They were lucky enough that he was available. Maybe if Verlander isn't there for basically cash (laughs) and low level prospects, because Steve Cohen will just, uh, you know, happily, uh, you know, pay whatever it takes to, uh, you know, move players around and, and, and get what he needs. Like Verlander was there. Maybe like it ends a bit differently for the Astros, but it didn't, he was there. They got it done. He fits right in and uh, fits right back. in, I should say, and they have enough pitching to not only get to the postseason but uh, dispatch the twins pretty easily. So this is the idea. And when you see the way they do it and you see what happened with the white Sox, it's kind of like the Simpsons episode where you know, Homer is looking at the uh, box, uh, for the grill. And then he looks at his pile of bricks and mortar <laughs> and then yeah. he starts like taking a bar to it. Like that's, that's basically what the white Sox try to do and what they're left with. And now they just have a big mess that uh, they can't even, they're trying to clean up, but also just might have to wait for like the weather to take away. Yeah. This series against the Texas Rangers, again, the Texas Rangers have everything is just firing at all cylinders right now for the Rangers. They're getting great starting pitching. The offense has lived up to the hype. Uh, scoring bunch of runs defensively, they have been really strong. They have been making some outstanding defensive plays in this postseason. Sweeping, I mean, again, Texas on the road swept the Tampa Bay Rays, won games one and two in Baltimore. So they have played five postseason games, four of them on the road. They won all four against the top two teams in the American League this year as far as win-loss record in Tampa and Baltimore. And I know we've been talking mostly about the Houston Astros because here we go again. The Astros are here. They have proven on how to get here. They, they, they are proven winners. Can the Texas Rangers, the upstart team, continue this hot streak? And if the Rangers can, like, this is a very similar run we saw last year with the Philadelphia Phillies, Jim, mm-hmm. where they just took over the postseason in their bracket. And I cannot wait for this series. This is going to be so entertaining, especially the fan environments. We talked about this before in a previous episode on how home crowd environments can really impact on how the series are played. It didn't have any impact in Minneapolis because the Houston Astros pretty much shut up the Twins fans like immediately uh, and taking early leads and holding on to them. Uh, and it was a good it was a good showing by Twins fans. I did like that they were counting down the clock. That was very loud. You could hear it on TV. That was that was pretty cool from Twins fans. But it didn't matter. The Twins lost both of those games. And we know that home field advantage has been huge for the Philadelphia Phillies. 
but Houston and Arlington, which is right by Dallas, Texas, like relatively short commutes. I could see a lot of fans traveling back and forth for these games. I hope it goes seven games because it'll just be great entertainment. I know a lot of people will say that they're expecting the Houston Astros to win, but I find it very difficult to count out the Texas Rangers and just how well they have been playing in this postseason. I know it's a small sample size, Jim. It's just five games, but they dominated Tampa Bay and Baltimore. And Baltimore and Tampa Bay were the two best teams in the American League this year. Well, on one hand, they're upstarts. And on the other hand, like they have Marcus Semien and they have Corey Seager. And that's a, you know, that was their whole idea with the way they went about it is like, we don't want to rebuild or we don't want to wait for everything to line up perfectly before splashing. We're going to force the window open a little bit, but we're going to get like players at the top of the market at the most important positions or two of the most important positions, and then just let everything fill in around it. And that's basically worked to perfection. It's a little bit like rickety on the pitching side right now with uh, um, the way that, uh, you know, Scherzer didn't quite deliver and DeGrom got hurt and, you know, they've had to uh, scramble a little bit with the bullpen, but they have so much offense. You know, like that offense is, you know, we've heard a lot about the Braves offense. The Rangers have a little bit thinner, maybe of a lineup in the outfield, like not quite as stacked, but I mean like the infield, uh, especially Seaman and Seager in the middle, but also like young is great. Like, you know, Mitch Garver has rediscovered that form at the twins uh, to give like two dangerous catchers, which you normally don't see. So like, and then Evan Carter coming along and like hitting the ground running. So he's been somebody, I think who uh, addressed maybe the one big weakness that the Rangers had was like not quite getting enough out of their outfield. And he comes in and looks every bit, the top prospect. So like they achieved what they set out to do, which is make their team as dangerous as possible. Maybe like a little bit dangerous to themselves with the way they, um, you know, accelerated the offense and said, well, figure out the pitching staff as we go along. And I think that's partially why they were up and down this year and had hot and cold and, you know, winning streaks and losing streaks is because uh, the pitching was a little bit thinner. uh, And when the offense got cold, like the pitching couldn't quite win some three, two games that, the best teams use to minimize losing streaks, but they're pretty much there when they have like enough pitching, not even like great pitching, but just enough because like their lineup is pretty much relentless. So that's what I think is fun about them. Like, and I like seeing them succeed. I was skeptical just because of the pitching issues, but like, I'm happy to see them succeed because like, it's a good model for teams that are, trailing or teams that are like just you know wanting to kickstart their uh, lineups just like pay for really good players who are young enough and athletic enough and have margin for error whether it's you know if they're not that if, if they have a little bit of a power slump they at least get on base if they you know lose a strike zone they at least have power they play a premium position if they have a rough defensively they can move down the spectrum and still contribute at third base or you know a corner outfield spot like that's uh, i think the the whole idea and it's worked out beautifully for the Rangers because like they still have a lot of homegrown talent that they're mixing in. And like, I think the Padres try the same thing, but also like there's a little bit of AJ Preller going transaction crazy. That's kind of my, my, uh, my criticism to the Mariners, just the way DePoto can't stop making moves and seeking every possible edge and sometimes loses the plot a little bit in terms of like, is this roster actually like stable enough to, to win games? And like the Rangers, like they made the big splashes for DeGrom and Seager and Semyon, but otherwise they left their, like their good young players alone and let them grow into their roles. And it seems like they've done that. Yeah, you mentioned the outfield. I'm a big fan of Dallas Garcia in right field. He's had some big moments. Yeah, I agree that they're they could use a better replacement at center field than Tavares, but Tavares defensively has been doing a good job for the Rangers. The biggest question is going to be bullpen. Do yeah. they have a bullpen solution for Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker? Starting pitching side, they do. Jordan Montgomery's been throwing really well. And I think he'll be able to help neutralize the Astros offense when he makes that start. But do you bring in an Andrew Heaney out of the bullpen or a Martin Perez? Do they have answers for Alvarez and Tucker late in games in this series? That's going to be, again, a fascinating watch the American League Championship Series. Yeah, it's, it's going to be one of those 
uh, yeah, for Bruce Bochy, who's, you know, here's a case where like, Hey, here's a manager who's done this before and knows plenty about, uh, scrambling to get by. So that's one area where you don't necessarily give them a nod, but like between Bochy and Dusty Baker, like nobody has an edge on experience right now between the two of them. So you don't have to worry about like the whole, uh, you know, like, you know, Old school versus analytics, the annoying arguments get brought out whenever a pitcher is left a, a third time through or is pulled before a third time through. Like They're going to get plenty of benefit of the doubt from everybody when it comes to how they handle things. But I think it's going to be a matter of can the starting pitching hold the plan together well enough to where they don't have to scramble for six innings. Like if they have to piece together four innings, that's one thing. If they have to like go to the bullpen in the third or fourth inning day in and day out, that's when I think it could get messy. But if they can hold together for a plan or even like say if the offense can put together like a couple crooked numbers in the first four innings to give their pitching staff a margin for error where every decision won't be under a microscope, then I think you can see them settle into the series a bit. But I think the first couple of games are going to be key just because if it's a short start, like I'm thinking like Dane Dunning, he's in the mix and just thinking about like how that went to when he started game three of the wildcard series, uh, in 2020 for the White Sox, just if they have to go to the bullpen that early and they have to do it like the Dodgers did like that early, that often, like it's just hard to walk a tightrope for so many games against an offense, especially like an offense. that's going to be seeing you a lot and seeing the same pitchers and they already have been in the division. So yeah. they've seen those pitchers plenty. So right. uh, overexposure could be something that like Bochy and probably Dusty Baker as well, really have to be on guard for just because uh, it's not the normal uh, burn out your relievers over the course of seven games because they're pitched five times. It's more like they might pitch five times over seven games, but also they might have seen this guy eight times over 13 games over the previous six months that also add to the number of looks they've gotten. So that's the American League. We'll quickly touch on the National League. Not a complete picture as we are currently streaming because, again, game four between the Phillies and Braves is ongoing in Philadelphia. But a shocker. The Arizona Diamondbacks sweeping, sweeping the Los Angeles Dodgers. So they swept the Milwaukee Brewers. They have swept the Dodgers. It's a similar story like the Texas Rangers. And it was not that close. They jumped all over Dodgers starting pitching. And bravo to the coaching staff for the Diamondbacks. That lineup was well prepared for every starting pitcher the Dodgers had. Uh, Kershaw, Bobby Miller, Lance Lynn, the Diamondbacks hitters jumped all over these guys. They had great game plans. They hit bombs, took an early lead, and just sucked the life out of this veteran team of the Dodgers where you get to see the body language with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I think combined, those guys only had one hit. And when mm -hmm. you add in J.D. Martinez, Martinez only had two hits. So your middle of the lineup here, again, very veteran heavy and bats Freeman and Martinez, and they have only three hits total in three games. So nothing worked here for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it's becoming an annual tradition, Jim. Like, again, huge credit to the Arizona Diamondbacks, young and exciting team. Once we know who they'll play in the NLCS, we'll talk more about the Diamondbacks. But Jim in Tinseltown with the Dodgers, like where do they go from here? Well, you, when you look at the way they approached the offseason uh, prior, uh, it seemed like they were just, it was a patch of an offseason that they're just trying to get by and reset the payroll a little bit and maybe make a run at Shohei Otani after the season. But they weren't going guns out or guns blazing for this particular season because they had like, you know, Clayton Kershaw, who knows exactly how much he has left. Uh, they had some other, uh, you know, positions that were in flux and they didn't necessarily want to try to super solve all of them. So they more or less let it go. And then they went a hundred plus games when they weren't expecting it. And maybe that set expectations too high because when you did look yeah. at the rotation entering the postseason, you're like, Oh, is Kershaw any good losing, uh, Arias? Like, you know, um, that hurts, uh, you know, and, you know, they'll have to deal with that in the offseason. But just like that was a case of just, you know, the, the timing of that really disrupted their pitching depth. And you see Lance Lynn being the best option for game three. And Lynn had like a handful of good starts immediately after the trade. But then I think over the last month and a half with the Dodgers, he had an ERA over six. So he's basically like the same he's pitcher done. he was with the White Sox. But then like a, a little burst in the middle that made it clear that he wasn't like a – 
a six ERA pitcher the whole time. Like he had some, he was better than that, but not by much. And, yeah. and then it blew up on him against a good team. And like, if you're going to criticize Roberts, like allowing any, uh, inessential starter to give up four homers in one inning in a third inning of a must win game. Like, uh, that might've been where he's too slow, but like that's, I've complained about October baseball before, like putting managers under the microscope too much and not doing enough to blame players or credit players with, uh, performances or collapses or slumps or, or moments. And this is a case where, yeah, it's Betts and Freeman, uh, just, the offense not delivering, uh, giving a pitching staff that is already thin, uh, very little to work with, and the pitching was a disappointment. But uh, pretty much, if the you know the Dodgers were limited two runs a game, nobody would expect them to win, even if they might have had like Arias and Kershaw at, at, at more of his powers. Like that's a tough way to win in October. So mm. like that's I think uh, what kind of annoys me is like it's very simple in this case. It wasn't about like. Uh, times through the order or lineup or, you know, yeah, lineup arrangements or like, you know, whether bad bench players were hitting instead of good players. Like it was just all like stars not showing up because they need those stars to mask the deficiencies elsewhere on the roster. The Dodgers have won 10 of the last 11 National League West Division titles. However, they've only got one World Series. And that was in 2020 in the shortened season. So I can understand where Dodgers fans are like, it's not enough. Like we've had this tremendous stretch and we've been to the world series and there's that whole 2017 world series that was part of the cheating scandal, but like one world championship is not enough. It's almost like they've reached the level of being spoiled. Like New York Yankees fans, like, We've got 27 world championships, but we haven't won one since 2009. So we're all depressed right now in the Bronx because we can't even get to the postseason now. That's not the case with the Dodgers, but in this amazing run that they've had in franchise history, they have one world championship and they didn't even win a playoff game this year. And again, they go to this free agency. Yes, they have the whole Julio Arreyes situation that they need to work out. Uh, and I do believe that he is a free agent, so that will work itself out. There's not the Trevor Bauer situation that they have to worry about now on a money side, but Shohei Otani can't pitch in 2024, mm-hmm. and you need pitchers. So it'll be really interesting to see what the Los Angeles Dodgers do this offseason, but I can understand where there's there's more pressure now than ever to bring home another world championship. And again, 10 of the last 11 National League West division titles. Man, I wish the White Sox had that type of run. We would be a lot more positive and happier, and maybe we would be depressed. Like, oh, my gosh, they got swept by the Diamondbacks. But from an outside perspective, uh, I can understand the pressure for the Dodgers, but I still expect them to be there next year. Yeah, also 2020 winning it then when fans couldn't really – show up and enjoy a world series title the way fans normally could, you know, no parades, no, uh, you know, sold out games, uh, world series games at home like that. I can understand why that one doesn't feel like a normal world series title might've felt like. Yeah. Good point. Couldn't have a, a big parade in Los Angeles. Yeah. That I definitely understand. And again, uh, as we are streaming, the Phillies and Braves game is ongoing. There was this whole, our, ordeal about clubhouse reporting. I think we're going to save that for Sunday's podcast because the hot takes that are coming out, especially from MLB reporters, I need to really sit down and take these clips. Uh, but Jim, uh, Jake Mintz, I know you and I are big fans of Cespedes barbecue, unfortunately has put himself into the spotlight here. You've been in clubhouses. I've been in clubhouses, locker rooms, various sports, What's your take about hearsay or eavesdropping on conversations and reporting that from the clubhouse? It was yelled. Like it was yelled yeah, for people. It wasn't, it wasn't said softly, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know, Jake Mintz, he, he reported it, but Chelsea Janes of the Washington post also heard it. She just didn't see who said it. So she couldn't run with the quotes. Uh, because like she couldn't tell who it was, but her story in the post said that 
uh, quoted that. It was just anonymously because she couldn't hear it or, or she couldn't see where it came from. But, you know, mints happened to, but like it was in her story as well. So like, it's not just him. It's not just uh, what, what Alana Rizzo on MLB network called him a jack off blogger, which is like one feels like it's out of like 2006. Uh, but also just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a cheap shot for somebody who is uh, accredited and, you know, given that she worked for teams and her job was, you know, not journalism, but it was for being a uh, sideline reporter for a TV network working for a team. It's like she's not the best gauge for a reporter who is not affiliated with any team going in and just reporting on the scene. So he's in the clubhouse. He sees Arcia yell at a boy Harper when everybody's there. Uh, it's not if he overheard like him, like, you know, you know, nudging another player, like, you know, nudging Acuna and saying like, Hey, attaboy Harper. Like that might be a little bit like listening to something he shouldn't have said, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. if he had nobody to corroborate it, uh, he might be, you know, kind of sticking his neck out for something that's not really worth it. Uh, but like this case, it was yelled to be heard. And then the Braves get all mad that, uh, you know, everybody who heard it, you, you should have, uh, you know, kept it in the Braves clubhouse as if they're beholden, to the Braves clubhouse. Um, and, and the way the Braves handled it is really confusing too, because like they should have just shrugged it off. Like, yeah, I said it, you know, we were happy you made the mistake. He showed us onto game three or onto game four, you know, just like, yeah, you know, that's all they had to say was just like, yeah, we got him. He got us. It's even, uh, Instead, uh, it's, uh, you know, they, they've made it in this whole soap opera and you have fans getting in there and criticizing, uh, Jake and, uh, saying the media doesn't belong in the clubhouse and they don't care about play. It it was meant to be heard. And then Arcia or the Braves got mad that like their celebration was heard. Uh, and yeah, you you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Like you just, they made a mistake or maybe they didn't even make a mistake. Like if they just said like, yeah, I said it, we were, you know, we were thrilled. Uh, he's a great player, though. So, you know, he uh, he bounced back. Like, that's it, it wasn't even a mistake to say it. And uh, they've turned it a mistake with the way they've handled it. They're just scared. And we'll see on how game four goes. Right now, as we're streaming, it's still scoreless going to the bottom of the third inning. It makes me root for the Phillies now. Like, I had, I had the Braves as my uh, World Series champ, and I like looking smart by having them validate it, and I was just hoping for a good series. But now it's just like, man, like, the Phillies just, you know, like, I, the Braves just have not uh, covered themselves in glory here when it comes to just how sensitive they appear when the stakes are this high. And uh, the what was said was so small and – the, you know, I guess offense in quotes of reporting it is even smaller than that. It's just, it's just dumb. Like it's I, weak. I that's, it, it is weak, but we'll, we'll see on how the rest of the game goes. If Atlanta loses game four to the Philadelphia Phillies, it'll be a much bigger topic along with the playoff format. There's going to be a lot of hot takes if the Braves don't beat the Phillies. And especially with how the Dodgers got swept and how the Baltimore Orioles got swept and, People are going to be punching holes everywhere where they can because you don't have the best teams available. But, hey, we all know that the MLB postseason could be a crapshoot. And this may be the crappiest of all crapshoots that we have seen, but it has been entertaining and it has been fun. We do not need media blaming media dumb drama. It's just, yeah, just dumb just dumb but yeah although it's been a fun but i mean these all these sweeps and such like a little bit disappointing in terms of just how many games are or how many series is just over so quickly so i'm hoping the braves rally just because this should be a really fun series that goes the limit but uh if they do flame out it's like good it's a kind of pathetic way that happened Yes. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching, especially in the live stream. For those that are watching, if this is the first time you're watching a video on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have about 1.34K subscribers, so a little bit more than 1,300 subscribers already. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you'll be alerted whenever we have new videos will be posted up, and we'll continue to produce more videos during the offseason as we cover the Chicago White Sox. We always take the audio from 
Socks Machine Lives and the YouTube streams and uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter or X. Now it's called Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on social media platforms at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, and they also receive ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.